if you can, we're going to start in Exodus 19, in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Uh, last time that I spoke, we kind of worked through an overview of the book of Exodus. We looked at uh, maybe some of the details of the book, but kind of the message of the book, how God saves, and how really that salvation has been the same all the time. He shows us how he saves and how he goes about saving and what he does in saving. And we see that literally in a physical way carried out with Israel and Egypt. Um, so this is kind of my self-proclaimed pattern here. I'm going to then today talk about kind of a lesson we see out of out of Exodus, and that is... I want us to consider Exodus 19 and kind of this question that I titled this lesson for, and that is, what does God want? Um, you know, there's a lot of questions that I have about God, um, and I don't know all the answers to all of them, and I don't think I'm supposed to. Um, but there is one question that God speaks pretty clearly on that he gives us an answer to, and that's what he wants, um, as at least as it re- in regards to humans people, mankind. Um, and I think he answers this before we see, before Exodus 19, but I think he, perhaps he answers it most clearly in Exodus 19. Um, nothing before this point is as clear to me as Exodus 19. And certainly I believe there's passages after Exodus 19 that expand on this and expound on it. And so I want us to look at Exodus 19 a little bit We're going to be turning to some other passages as well to kind of uh, elaborate on some ideas. And ultimately, we're going to be turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, which is what James read a part of this morning, to see the parallel for us today. Um, So Exodus chapter 19 is the chapter in which Israel arrives at a mountain as they're leaving Egypt. Before they get to the promised land, but after they've been delivered from Egypt, they have kind of this midway point. Um, And they come to this mountain called Sinai. And at this mountain, God gives some pretty specific instructions. And it really is, um, if you kind of view the, the Bible with its key moments, this is one of the most key moments in the story of the Old Testament. And the story of how God deals with his people. Really, Christianity is the fulfillment in a lot of ways of this moment. Um, And so Exodus 19 shows us a lot of things. I would like to read verses uh, 1 through 6 as we begin here. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So upon arriving at this mountain, Moses goes to the top of it, and God tells him what he's to relay to the people. I want the people to know a certain few key things right now. They're going to know more later, but there's some things that they need to know right now. And this really serves as kind of the foundation of who Israel is. Um, And this really serves as the baseline or a very fundamental understanding of what God wanted from them. He saved them for a reason, and I think this indicates a basic reason in which he saved them, um, and really indicates their future role as they move forward. Um, So the first thing that I I want us to focus on when we ask this question, what does God want? He answers in a couple different ways. First, he answers, he wants a people for himself. You know, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. He wants his own people. And it's not that he doesn't own everything else, but he wants a certain special people that are really uniquely his. Um, Certainly we understand that from Genesis, God owned everything in the sense that he created it and had control over it and it was his. He spoke it into existence. But it wasn't the same as a people recognizing God and saying, we are gods. It's not the same. And so that's what God sets out to have in Israel. He says, I want a people, not only that, yeah, are mine, but they will say, we are his. And I will be able to point back to me. And I can have that relationship with them. And I mean, really, it's a restoration of kind of what was lost in Genesis. Um, In some sense, if you want to turn back to the book of Genesis... If you want to look at verses 26 through 30, we'll read those quickly. Chapter 1, sorry. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Um, And so we see God creating man and woman in this instance, and having a very intimate relationship with them from the outset, from creation. We see that really continued in um, Genesis chapter 3, and look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And as that story continues, it's really showing how they had fallen in their obedience to the Lord. But God was walking around with them. And I think this seems to indicate this was something that he did regularly. I mean, as he walked in the cool of the day, it almost seems as if there's a regularity or a pattern to that. Um, And so God from from creation had this intent of a special unique relationship not with everything he created but specifically with man and woman 
he created everything, but with man and woman, he had a special relationship. And ultimately, just as chapter 3 starts to show us where that spiraled downward and man ruined that. But God in Exodus 19 wants some of that back. If it's not with every man and every woman of the earth, it's with Israel. With Israel, he wants to have that specific relationship. Um, And so he brings them into existence in a sense. Israel wasn't Israel until he delivered them from Egypt, until he kept his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. His promise to make a nation, to give them a land, to give them, uh, to give them to be a blessing to the rest of the world. It wasn't until he did that for them that they were even Israel in the first place. Um, and so there's a sense in which, really, God brought them into existence by an act of his power. Um, who were they before God intervened? They were slaves in Egypt without really any kind of identity. Um, sure, they were, they were Hebrew in that sense. They were descendants of Abraham. And they were separated from the Egyptians, but they weren't really anybody. They were subjected to the rule of the Egyptians. And it wasn't until God showed his power to Egypt and to the Israelites that they became Israel, a nation. Um, and so, and that, and that is really pointed to us in verse 4, right, of Exodus chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I brought you and I showed the Egyptians. Um, God really acted and showed his power in pulling them out of Egypt and creating them in a sense. And that's really what Exodus 19 is. It's God identifying this and really forming Israel as a nation. This is the, the uh, proper formation of Israel's at Mount Sinai. Um, and so we see that God wants a people for himself. It really was his plan from the beginning to have people be his intimately. And we see that he does that by an act of his own power. And so really it leaves Israel pointing only to God for their existence. They couldn't say, we delivered ourselves from Egypt and we formed Israel out of our own great power and our intellect and out of our wisdom we formed a nation and out of our ability later we're going to conquer Canaan really they could only point to God and his power as having been the reason for their existence and so God wants a people for himself the problem with this is as we look at Israel as we see that moving forward in time Israel didn't always want to be God's They didn't want to be his people. For a time, and certainly individuals, sure, but as a collective, they seemed to rebel against that idea as time moved forward. And so even though God instituted this and made Israel his nation, there was no foolproof method in this way to ensure that Israel would always live up to this intimate relationship. There just wasn't a way to do it. Um, All right, the second thing that we see God wants, and we're going to look at Exodus again for this, is a people who obey his voice. Verse 5 indicates this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and with that comes keeping my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God didn't just want people who, you know, 
went about their way and didn't pay any attention to him. What good is that to him? I mean, what kind of relationship uh, is that? We don't want relationships like that. You know, I don't marry somebody because they ignore me and we have nothing in common and we don't like each other. You know, you marry somebody who you share common bonds, who will listen to you, who you can talk to. Your friends are the same way. You have friends because you talk to them, they listen to you, you share common interests. And so God wanted that with Israel. And for that to work, he said, you have to listen to me when I speak. I'm not going to just be the one-sided God that only hears you and you never hear me. You have to listen when I speak or when I respond to you. Um, any healthy relationship, we understand functions that way. And so God requires that in his people, and he says that's in fact what he wants. He wants it to be that way. Um, again, we could go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2, when God gives you know the specific uh, commandments, prohibitions and commandments um, to Adam and Eve in chapter 2 of Genesis, and verses, we'll begin in verse 15. We'll read this quickly again. Genesis 2.15 reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Well, what was the point of God giving that? If he didn't expect Adam and Eve to listen to him, why did he say it? I mean, that's a silly question he wouldn't have, right? He had an expectation that because he had a relationship with Adam and Eve, because they were his, they would listen to him. There was some give there. There was some listening and telling going on. And so God requires this with Exodus. If you're going to be like it was back in Genesis, you're going to have to listen to what I'm saying. Um, and that's, that's a really fundamental and simple concept. Um, God re- requires Israel in verse 8 uh, of chapter 19 of Exodus... It says, he phrases it in kind of another way um, that they have to listen to his voice. But look at verse 8. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So not only does he say he wants this, the people say we're willing to do that. Um, We're willing to listen. They all confirm that aspect of God's desires. Um, Well, what's really, well, before I say that, let, let us notice, it's not till Exodus 24. I um, mean, your Bible might have some sort of heading over this chapter that says something like the covenant being confirmed or something along those lines. But it's not really till Exodus chapter 24 till we see this arrangement between God and Israel, this covenant of him being their king or their God and they being his people. We don't, it's not till chapter 24 we see that being, in a sense, ratified. That being put into place with blood. Well, what's interesting about that is it's chapter 19 is when they say, yeah, we're going to listen to you. And so a prerequisite to the covenant was agreeing to listen to God. Um, and I think that's interesting, and we'll expand on that some more as we move forward. Um, What's a problem with this? Just like how God wanted a people for himself and the inherent problem is that, what happens if the people decide they don't want to be gods anymore? A problem with this is what happens if Israel decides they don't want to listen to God? Well, we see that happen as we move forward in time. Israel decides they don't want to listen to God and uh, they buck up against his commands and his prohibitions and his 
uh, affirmatives. And so, but just because that happens, um, God has to punish them and things like that. So we see some shortcomings in this, even with, ex, uh, with, even with Israel. This isn't always going to be perfect relationship. We see that. Well, what about the third thing? God says in Exodus 19, verse 6, that he wants them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And to me, um, not only does this indicate specific things he desires from them, but also in a broader sense that he's going to say who they are. You know, they didn't decide for themselves, we're going to be priests and we're going to be holy. God said that about them. He gets to define the characteristics of the nation. Um, And so I think that's simple um, in a lot of ways. God wants to be the one who molds and shapes his people and tells them what to be and how to be it. Um, That's kind of the broad concept I see in that. And again, if we went back to Genesis, um, God clearly did that uh, at the beginning. He spoke what he wanted to be created, and it was exactly as he said it to be. And it was so, and it was good. He molded and shaped exactly the way he wanted things. Even with Adam and Eve, um, you don't have to turn here. I'm just going to read this verse rather quickly. You can just listen to it. In chapter 3, verse 21, after Adam and Eve had sinned against God, and in their realization of their sin and their nakedness, they kind of make for themselves clothes. Even in that moment, God molds and shapes them because he says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. Like what they did for themselves wasn't enough. And so God kind of molded and shaped, even in that moment, what he wanted from them. Um, And so in Exodus 19, we see God saying, when I want a a kingdom of priests and a holy nations, I am making you into something. Um, I am shaping who you are. And really that's the bulk of the rest of Exodus from this point on is how he's shaping them, what he wants them to do, what he doesn't want them to do, how they're to go about doing it. Um, All these things shape them. But what's a problem with that? What's a problem with Israel being this, this kingdom of priests and holy nation, is that Israel, by nature, sometimes didn't want to be molded by God and didn't want to be these things. Um, But because they were a physical nation... You could be born into this and be gods because you're an Israelite, but never choose to be gods. You could be, you could hear his voice because you knew his laws in a sense, but you never decided that's what you wanted for yourself if you were born into being an Israelite. Or if you were born into being an Israelite, you didn't necessarily agree to being a kingdom of priests and a holy nations, but maybe your grandfather had, and so now you're an Israelite and that's what you do. So those are kind of some inherent problems with being an Israelite. If you decided you don't want to be gods, you're still part of Israel in a sense. I know that spiritually you wouldn't have been, but as a nation you would have. So we see what God wants in Exodus 19, but we see some pretty clear problems with it. Especially if we know the history of Israel, we see the issues with this. Um, how does God solve this? If, if this is what he wants and there's problems with it, he's got to have a solution. Um, and that's where I believe we can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and really see God's answer to how he's going to complete what he wants or perfect what he wants. Um, and what I mean by that is God's desires are not incomplete or imperfect, 
but rather those who respond to them are. Um, and that, that's, that's pretty clear with us. Um, and Genesis shows us that. But if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, I would propose that Christians are all three of these things. Um, Christians are a people for God. Christians are a people who obey his voice and his commandments. And Christians are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, and 1 Peter chapter 2 says that explicitly. Some of those same phrases from Exodus chapter 19. Um, let's look at verse 9 of 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, so clearly this verse shows that we, just like Israel should have been, Christians are God's people. Um, and I think this is fairly much, pretty much a, a, an exact uh, quote from Exodus 19. I know Exodus 19 says treasure, treasured possession, and I think that's intended here when he says his own possession. Um, and so we are the treasured possession, Christians are, that Israel should have been way back in Exodus 19. God has made it us be that, and perfectly and completely. And the reason I say that, we'll uh, get to in a second. But also notice the parallels in this, and uh, Kirby pointed this verse out to me last night, and I thought it was a helpful verse. John chapter 1, um, John chapter 1, remember in Exodus 19 that Israel was going to be God's people, they were to be his, and they really couldn't point to any other reason for their existence other than God? Well, the same thing is true for Christians, um, Look at John chapter 1 and then in verse 12. Uh, but to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Just as Israel was brought about, brought into existence by an act of God's power, Christians are brought about brought into existence by act of God's power. And so really, we can only point, point to God in our existence. We can only point to God um, as being our king or our leader. Um, and so in that way, God has really perfected what he started with Israel in Christianity or in Christians through Jesus. Um, because unlike Israel, um, we each individually have to make a decision to be a Christian. There's no way we're really born into it. I mean, in a sense, we could be raised in Christian homes, but it doesn't mean we're a Christian. Um, and so God has really solved maybe some of the dilemmas of the Israelites in that to be a Christian, we have to be created by God. Um, and we have to be his own people in that way. 1 Peter 2.4 says the same thing. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and precious. Again, this idea of being God's and being created by him. All right. The second thing, uh, people who obey God's voice, uh, is in verse 2 of First Peter 2. First Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that it 
that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is talking about, it's pointing back to kind of verse 25 of chapter 1, that says, uh, and this word, talking about the gospel, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Uh, If you know the gospel, we long for it. We long for that spiritual milk. Um, And we desire that. And that's what we grow up into salvation by, is the words of God. And so really, just like Israel in Exodus 19, we're a people who pay attention to the voice of God. We pay attention to His words and His commandments. Um, And really, like Israel in Exodus 19, it's a prerequisite. Listening to God is a prerequisite to um, becoming a Christian or, as the parallel might show, entering into that covenant with God. It was, it was a prerequisite. Um, for instance, in Exodus 19, they had to say, we will listen to the voice and we will do everything that you say to do. And that's when God says, okay, it's time for you to enter into my covenant now that we've agreed to this. Well, as Christians, we have to hear the words of the Lord through Jesus. And we have to see who Jesus is and see his commands before we can say, I want to do what Jesus told me to do. And so in that sense, it's a prerequisite to us becoming a Christian. 1 Peter 1.22 shows us, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, right, for a sincere brotherly love. We purify our souls because we know the truth and we obey it. We respond to it. We decide, yes, I'm going to listen to the words God is saying. Um, And the third thing, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is pretty clear in this passage. Verses 5 and 9 have these exact uh, phrases in them. Verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, Christians, those in Jesus, are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we could spend a lot of time hashing out kind of how that works and what that means and all these things. But that's what God says we are, just as he said Israel was supposed to be those things. Christians are those things. Um, And really, what I kind of wanted to highlight in this lesson, God has wanted the same thing throughout all time. We saw it in Genesis, we saw it in Exodus, now we're seeing it in this one specific text in 1 Peter. He's desired the same things, but he's showing us how he's brought us to actually be those things. You know, Genesis, it shows us, you know, man chose not to be that. And then in Exodus, God really clearly revealed, okay, this is what I want. And man still kind of went and said, I I see what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it all the time. I'm not going to really be perfect in that way and, you know, be all the things you need me to be. Well, then God, through Jesus, offers, hey, this is what I want, and now you can really, really do it. When you mess up, I'm not, going to be able, I'm not going to hold it against you because of Jesus. And so these three things, a people for himself, a people who obey his voice, and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, 
are completed or perfected because of Jesus Christ. And God solves the problems from before. Um, the times where we might be a people because we're in Israel, but we're not really by the way we're living, we can't be Christians and be that. It's a daily decision. I'm a Christian because I want to be God's part of God's people. I'm a Christian because I want to obey His voice and keep His commandments. I'm a Christian because I want to be a part of the kingdom of priests. I want to be part of a holy nation. At any point, we stop wanting those things. In a sense, we're not really a Christian anymore. We're not wearing God's name. And so, even though I might have been an Israelite when I stopped following God by heritage, uh, that's not true anymore in Jesus Christ. His people are purely a spiritual people. And so, God shows us what he wants and how, through Jesus Christ, he's made us able to be that. Um, and so that, that's the lesson this morning. Um, hopefully, you know, I, I think for most of us, that was probably, those were probably things we've considered before and thought about a lot. Um, but hopefully it was a refresher, just kind of, if you're like me, I think about the Old Testament and I always don't, I don't always bring out the lessons full circle and think about why they matter to me today. Um, and so hopefully those are some things that could be a refresher for you and just encourage you in your walk with Jesus and, and being a Christian that God really has gone through a lot. Um, I mean, not only time-wise, but a lot of experiences with mankind to bring us Jesus so that we'd appreciate him. Um, you know, we look at Israel and we think they made a lot of mistakes, which is true. Um, and God was patient with that so that we could see the beauty of Jesus and what he offers us. And so I would encourage you with that this morning. Um, if there's anybody here, you know, for whatever reason, that would...